Let's pray and we'll jump into week three of our Guide Rails series. God, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to worship you and um, dig into your word. Uh, You know our hearts. You know what we're coming into this room with. You know what's troubling us, what's weighing us down, what's exciting. You know all of it. And more importantly, you know exactly what we need. You know what I need. You know what we need. And that's what we're after today. Would you pull down the barriers that we've kind of let build up in our hearts? Would you help us to break free from the distractions in our minds and and just listen for your voice in these moments through your word? Um, Who cares what I have to say? All we care about is what you have to say. So give us clarity and give us wisdom and give us courage. Give us what we need. We're so desperate for more of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This uh, message today is called We Kick In. And this is part of our series of 10 kind of big statements or values about who we are as a church. Now, if you're coming in here and you're like, I don't care who you are as a church, my mom just made me come. Cool. You're welcome here. My mom used to make me come all the time, too, to church, and uh, I get it, and, uh, but, but I want you to know that like these messages, as we break through these messages in our guide rail series, they, they apply to us as a church. In many ways, they're like a, a stake in the ground for us as a church, a value for us as a church, but they have great power when you apply them to your personal lives as well. We took two words and we combined them. We took guideposts and guardrails and we mashed them up together to form this series and these values that will be a part of us as a church for the foreseeable future, right alongside our vision, which is we are a church that is for Jesus and for Schuylkill County, for your friends and family who don't go to church and for you uh, in that order. Uh, these will go right alongside those. These are guide rails, things that set our direction and keep us from going off the road when it comes to who we are as a church and what God wants to do to us, for us, through us in the next couple years. They're also really phenomenal guide rails for your personal lives to help you kind of stay on track for the purpose God's given you, help you kind of live the way he designed you to live keep you from getting distracted or sideswiped or knocked off the road of your life, which happens sometimes. I feel like sometimes it happens to me every week. It happens sometimes. We need guide rails, things to show us the direction, remind us where we're headed, and to keep us from going off the road. We have to recap just briefly because these are so important, and the very first guide rail we talked about was we keep Jesus center. That's where our priorities start as a church. We don't keep the preacher center, the message center, the worship center, the program center, the building center, whatever center. Who cares about all of that nonsense? When you get Jesus right as the center of your life, when you get Jesus right as the center of the church, when you set that as your first priority, not top or bottom to build off of, center Everything else falls into place. That was week number one. In its right time, 
in its right place. If you get Jesus center right, everything else you will eventually get right to. And then last week, we talked about the second one, and both these first two, and that kind of lead into this one, these first two come from when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. A thing he changed when talking to disciples and said, love each other the way I have loved you. Everything else hangs on this, right? This is how they'll know you are mine. The second one is we keep people second. We don't keep people first because people aren't Jesus. You may have this expectation that, let me just clear it up for you. Your spouse is not Jesus. (laughs) You're like, I know. (laughs) I do his laundry. (laughs) He smells weird. (laughs) That toothbrush is 10 years old. (laughs) But sometimes we expect people in our lives to fill the role that only Jesus can fill. Your wife can't be Jesus for you. Your husband can't be Jesus for you. Your bestie can't be Jesus for you. Like People are second. Jesus has to be first. People second. Below Jesus, but above everything else. And so we put people second here. Like We're not going to sacrifice people for the sake of a program. We're not going to We're not gonna disregard people just so we could be big. Like people need to be second. We need to care for them and be there for them and elevate them and lift them up and put them above ourselves. We keep people second. And today's message is called We Kick In Instead of Eat Up. Now what you need to know about this guide rail for us is that this is about choosing to be a contributor over a consumer, be a contributor over a consumer. I had a friend who is very successful in the corporate world. We were getting lunch together. We were talking about different challenges that were going on with him and his business and different challenges you have in the church world. And, you know, life always has challenges no matter what place you and it's fun talking about those challenges and like problem solving and hearing how people outside your circle think. I, I, I love that. And so I try to put myself in those kind of situations often. I'm having lunch with this very successful man and we were talking about how just across the board, everywhere, not just in church, everywhere, when you're talking about youth sports, you're talking about schools, you're talking about whatever, it's really hard to get people to like help, to get people to serve. That's the key to this message is, Help and serve. And uh, he looked at me and he said, Josh, what I think you need to do is you need to help people see what they get out of it, helping and serving. Now, it's interesting to me, as someone who's grown up in the church, we, like, avoid that part of the conversation. We don't want to talk about that because, like, if you have been going to church since Noah sailed the ark, you know... You just serve because, right? Like, why do I do this, mom, dad? Well, because I said so. And so there's some of us here like that we grew up in that kind of church world where you just serve because that's what you're supposed to do. You just do it. That's what Jesus did. You're supposed to do it. That's what he tells us to do. So you just do it. You don't ask why or what's the benefit. But we evaluate everything like that because of the culture we're in. And so I thought for a second, like maybe it would be good to just say, this is what The world has said, helping others does to you. 
Like scientific studies have proven, and, and the places I pulled this from are like the University College of London, which is a big college over there, and uh, the mental health kind of something or other. This is, this is, these are some benefits of helping other people. When you help other people, it's good for you. It improves your mood. How many of you are like, the mood in my house could improve this week? Well, the key's in this message. It reduces stress. Helping others builds your own sense of steam. Helps you experience more happiness. It just feels good. It gives you a sense of belonging, purpose. It gives you perspective on your own life when you're helping and serving other people. It helps you live longer. It alleviates loneliness. It enhances your social life. It makes you stronger. You have deeper friendships. You're more optimistic. You're more positive person. This is, this is what like secular science says happens to us when we decide we are not going to be just a consumer in life. We are going to be a contributor and we are going to help people. We're going to serve them. It makes sense that that's what science discovers because this is how God designed you to function and to live. The designer who has, who has designed you for life, has given you purpose, has given you meaning, your creator who has given you value and worth, this God who his love is unfailing towards you, who has plans for you, not plans to harm you, plans to give you a future and give you hope. He designed you to live like this. So of course, there's great benefits in living the way he has designed us. But this is counterintuitive to us because of the culture that we are immersed in. This isn't going to be some culture bashing thing. I'm not here to like rip how everybody does it. That's the, I'm not, you, if you know me, you know that's not how I am. But there is a contrast, contrasting culture that we have to talk about this morning. And the, the contrast, the divide comes between the kingdom culture and the culture that we have been immersed in, a culture of consumerism. Uh, we don't pay attention to this, but we are all wrapped up in a culture of consumerism. It started long before we ever were a twinkle in our mother's eye or whatever whatever that saying is. Like, before you were a thought on someone's radar, I better, I should have drank more coffee. I can feel it in my head going sideways, so we're just gonna rein it back in. <laughs> Here's what, I was reading some articles on this, and there was this article called The Brief History of Consumer Culture written by MIT. That's a this is the closest I'll ever get to MIT is reading something on the internet. But this was good. It said this. It said, the 20th century capitalism persevered its momentum by molding the ordinary person into a consumer with an unquenchable thirst for more stuff. Like that's you and me it's talking about. Our culture, commercialism, right or wrong, good or bad, whatever, whatever you, I don't care. Like, I'm not 
saying it, just like a, a side effect of the world we live in and the culture we have been immersed in is that we have been trained our entire lives, taught our entire lives without consciously registering it that you can meet the greatest needs of your heart by getting stuff. That is the things you get that add peace. It's what you can get that makes you happy. It's that jar of ice cream that'll fix your problems. It's that, it's that new car that'll make you feel important. It's, that, it's all the stuff you can get. But stuff can never meet your greatest needs. And so the system is broken and defeated from the get-go. We've been immersed in this culture of consumerism. It says, take, take what you need, take what you can, take what you can get. That'll make you feel better. That'll make you feel more purposeful. That'll fill the need for meeting. That'll make you feel love. That'll make you feel comfort. It's what you get. It's what you get. The thirst, though, for it is unquenchable. You see, when we're stuck in, cons what consumerism says to us is it says, what, what you need is found in what you get. It says the value of people, the value of places, the value of things are found in what they give you. It's a terrible guide for relationships. I only am going to love my wife when she's giving me what I think I need or deserve. It's a ter terrible way to live in relationships. It's a terrible way to treat people. I'm only going to value you based on what you bring to the table for me. It's we don't think that. You don't think that way. You don't go away. You don't go around thinking that way. But we are so immersed in this kind of culture that it plays games with us. And we all fall into this trap where we value people. We value things based on what we feel they bring to us. What can that person do to me? How can they make, help me get ahead? How is this going to add value to my life? We value them. And it <laughs> takes us down all kinds of messed up and broken roads. It is not how we were designed to live. We were not designed to live going through life saying, what am I going to get out of this? When you do, life becomes this jacked up game of Hungry Hippo. You ever see Hungry Hippo? You ever watch kids play Hungry Hippo? It doesn't take them long to learn that they gotta hit that thing faster than their buddies are hitting it. They got all the stuff is in the middle. It's, it's like limited little, whatever they are, marbles or whatever. And they're hitting that thing. And that hippo's, it's all mouth, right? Like it's just crying to grab everything you can. And next thing you know, like they're hitting it harder and hitting it harder. And the whole thing's shaking, trying to just get everything. Life's not a game of hungry hippos. What you get can never fill your needs. It's not found in stuff. The value of people is not defined in what they bring to the table for you and in how they make you feel. When you live like that, even subconsciously participate in it. I, I subconsciously, I'm not judging anybody, I subconsciously participate in this. It's an easy trap to fall into. We're immersed in it. When I do the return on investment, you know what return ROI Return on investment, like if you're in business or you have a business, you probably talk about that a lot. Sometimes we even talk about it here. Like it's important, like 
part of dialogue. It, it says this. It says, what I invest, what's it going to return to me? Sometimes you have to take a risk to invest something, but you want to know as a business person, like, is this going to eventually help me feed the families that work for me better, right? Like, make a wise decision. I have people dependent on me. I want to make sure I can provide for them. Their, their salaries are dependent on it. Like, you think about return on investment. The return on investment for living like this is depleted opportunities, depleted returns. The more you get, the more you have to get. And how it makes you feel is continually being diminished. It takes more and more and more to catch the same feeling, to catch the same buzz that that stuff once gave you. That's why people have lives that you dream about having with all the money you dream about having. All the things you would buy if you won the lottery. I know none of you ever play the lottery. <laughs> they have that stuff and they're still just as lonely, and just as depressed, just as lost and just as hurting as you are. It's because stuff, the return on investment for just playing the consumer game is a diminished life. It affects everything, from your credit, to your relationships, to church. And what you need to know about us, even if you're just visiting for us for a moment, is that this is not a country club. We are not interested in spectators. Church is not a place where we come to and think about what we can get out of it. Like, I hope you get something out of it. I really don't want to bore you with the Bible. The Bible is not boring, and if I'm boring you, I am probably should stop preaching. Like, th th this is incredible stuff in life-giving, so I hope that you come, and I know the promise from God is that his word never goes out and returns void, so I hope you get something out of it, but that's not why we exist. I can inspire you for a moment. I could tell you a story right now that would make you cry, and your wives would all be pulling tissues out of their pocket, being like, get it together. You don't see what I did there? Switch that. Like, <laughs> right? But that inspiration is not going to last. Motivation, it doesn't, you, we need something bigger and deeper than that. If you're going to be a part of this church, like, you need to know that it's not about me. It's not about you. This is about participating together. In something really amazing that God's going to do, that God is already doing. This is about us becoming who God has designed us to be. And watching how that when we're living in who God designed us to be, it has tremendous impact on the lives of people around us. And in return too, it impacts us. But that's not why we're doing it. There's a whole lot of people that just come to church because the music is good. They like it. Just come to church because the preacher sounds good. They like it. That's not enough. There's going to be a time where the music's going to change and you're not going to like it anymore. Don't believe me, just ask the last generation. There's going to be a time where the preacher annoys you or, or it doesn't make sense. That's not why we come to be active participants in what God is doing in his kingdom. We come to hear from him 
and to follow him in the work that he's doing. Our job is not to create more consumers, Christian consumers, to just shop church to church. What message makes me feel? What music makes me feel good? What? I mean, that stuff's important, but it's not it. It's not it. The culture of consumerism is directly opposed to the culture of Jesus. In Matthew 20, 28, it says that Jesus did not come to be served. The king did not come to be served. God in the flesh did not come to be served but to serve. The kingdom of God is not consumerism. Luke chapter 10, there's this incredible story at the end of it about this person you may have heard about called the Good Samaritan. Really, the Good Samaritan is just a character, an important character, but it starts with this expert in the law, someone who knew all the rules of religion, probably looked up to and esteemed when it came to questions about the Old Testament. This, this guy stands up and he's trying to test Jesus because that, they thought, was the thing to do and they wanted to prove him wrong. So he says to Jesus, he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds with a question. I love when Jesus does this. He just like hits him right back and he says, What's written in the law? How do you read it? The man replied, he said in verse 27 of chapter 10, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're experts in that, right? Like, because we just did two sermons on it. Like, you got it nailed down. Like, that's a good question, good answer. Good answer. Jesus says in verse 28, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. It's just like, reminiscent of this whole, like, get these two things right and you're going to get the rest right, right? Like, everything else hangs on these two things. But the man, it says in verse 29, wanted to justify himself. We all want to do that. Like, how do I make this easier for me? How do I get out of this? So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wrong question. Wrong question. Jesus, he goes right into this parable, this dialogue where he tells a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was treacherous. It was long. It was a road that was known by the Jesus' audience to have many dangers on it. Bandits would hide out and try to rob you. They knew the scene as soon as he started talking about it. They knew the road. I don't know. It was like the road to Pali. Like, you got to be careful, you know, or it's like the hike up to Shendo, yeah, the kielbasa is worth it, but you got to keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> I love both those places, by the way. Please don't put that on the internet. <clears throat> he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Strike one for the religious. So too a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him pass by on the other side. Strike two. 
It says this in verse 33 about a man they would have looked down on, Jesus' audience. They would have not thought very highly of this man because of the region he was from. They would be a little bit racist and a little bit bigoted from the get-go towards this next character, the Samaritan. It says, but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. You ever wonder, by the way, like how this guy ended up with the right heart and the right stuff? He's helping this guy out of his means because of his heart. Like maybe in this story, the guy who has been blessed with stuff and with the heart is the Samaritan. Maybe that's the kind of return on investment that God gives to his people when they're living as they're designed to live. Maybe that's what God does in those who aren't just trying to cling to their stuff, but who are willing to help somebody with it. I don't know, just a thought. It says he went to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring on oil and wine, he, had, he was helping him out of plenty. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is like two days' wages, and said and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus said this after telling the story. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law begrudgingly, no doubt, replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Wrong question. It's not who needs help. What should I do if I have time? How do I justify myself to minimize the impact on me all wrong questions. It's not who's the neighbor? Who is the one I'm responsible to help? Am I responsible to help at church? Am I responsible to help at my youth soccer association? Am I responsible to help at my school? Am I responsible to help at my college? Am I responsible to help here? Am I responsible to help there? Tell me which ones I don't have to help and which ones I do have to help. God, you know I only got so much time. I only got so much heart. I can't help everybody. You let me off the hook. And Jesus is like, wrong question. It's not who are you going to help it's what kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to be a neighbor? Or are you going to be a taker? Are you going to be a contributor? Are you going to kick in to help when you see a need? Or are you going to take? This Samaritan, it was not self-serving. It was not self-preserving his decision. He wasn't... He wasn't counting his own risk. He stopped on a dangerous road with bandits around. Maybe it was a trap. 
You see, there's something so special about this because he looks at the return on investment and he says, it might cost me something. This is going to take up some of my time. It's an interruption to my plan, but the reward is eternal. The reward is this is who I am. This is living in my purpose. This is living in my meaning. The reward is the joy I know from impacting this person's life and saving it. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. Who are you? We don't need more spectators in the church or in the world. It's easy to look at it all and complain and be like, man, it's easy to be like, right? Like, James Franklin can't win a big game. It's easy to like look at something and be like, it's not working. It's not working out there. It's terrible. Like, things are bad in my town. Things are bad in my things are bad in my school. Things are bad. They're like it's easy to be a spectator and just criticize. We don't need more of them. What we need are people who say, This is who I am. Like my king. I I am the kind of person who uses my gifts to help others. Can you say that? I hope that you can make this your statement today. I use my gifts for good. Sometimes, because none of us do it all the time, make this your statement. Sometimes I lay down my self-interest for the good of others. Every room I go into, I leave that room having added instead of just taken. You want to see your world change, your home change. You want to see the church unleash unbelievable impact in this county. Be that kind of person. You want to become that kind of person? It's about time we as individuals start evaluating our intake and outtake. (laughs) Don't be that friend who just always needs, 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 never gives. It's exhausting. Evaluate your intake and outtake. Don't be the kind of man who just says, well, I provide a paycheck, that should be good enough. There's much more important stuff that you should be adding in your homes than just a paycheck. Evaluate it. What am I bringing to the life of the people that need me most? What am I doing in the circumstances that people are dependent on me? What am I bringing to work, even if I'm the lowest man on the totem pole? Evaluate what you are taking and what you are giving and give more than you take. Even if it is just 1% more, it will make a huge impact and the return on investment will not only be eternal, but it'll be beneficial. You want to be that kind of person? Practice gratitude. Sometimes we think we don't have enough. We miss all the things God has provided for us. I hear it all the time. How can I help? I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough skills. 
Man, that's a jacked up way to look at your life. Maybe you don't have the specific things you need, but God has given you plenty. And it is from what he fills us with that we give the best things from. So practice gratitude. Whatever you do, it says, whether with word or with deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks for all that God the Father has done for you through him. Practice gratitude. Take a pause and look at your life. You're busy. We're all busy. You don't have time. None of us have time. Things are tough for you, and they're tough for a lot of people. Just practice some gratitude and then help out of that space knowing that God has provided and will provide for you. Discover what you can add to the room. It probably has something to do with what you're good at. It probably has something to do with what you love. Probably something to do with how God has gifted you. Are you an encouraging person? Then add encouragement to every room you go to. Are you blessed with wisdom beyond your years? Then add wisdom to every conversation you have. If you're really good at being creating spaces where people feel comfortable and at home, take that hospitality everywhere you go and make people feel comfortable everywhere. You'd be shocked at the impact. Discover what you are good at and add that to the room. See a need and just do something about it. Don't wait for somebody to ask you to do something. Just see a need and do something about it. Say yes to God in this and make yourself available and you will step right into your purpose and your world will change for the better. We call this kicking in Sunday It's part of who we are as a church. It's our culture, our expectation for those that become members with us. You're not joining a country club when you come to our church. I love country clubs. They're great. They're for golfing, not for church, right? Like, you're partnering with us when you become a member here. And so our expectation, just to be clear, if this keeps you from being a member, then that's fine. Our expectation is that if you are a member, you are serving somewhere. Because we don't want to be a church of consumers. We want to be a church of contributors. And we hope that you contribute here, but not just here, that you contribute everywhere. Every room you go into, be that kind of person. Sometimes people ask us, though, and we try to be really clear about this so that we can help people get plugged in that want to get plugged in. If you want to get plugged in here or in our Tremont campus, we have these cards in every one of your bulletins. If you need more, there's more outside on your way out. You can just take this over, prayerfully consider it. If there's an area where you're like, I want to get off, I want to get out of the bleachers and onto the field, I don't know what I can do, but I'll try something. Just check something you want to try. Here at Grace Free Church, you don't sign your life away. We're not desperate. (laughs) We just don't want to see you miss out. Nobody's going to stick you in the nursery for the next year. And then when you come out with a full beard and somebody's like, gee, Joan, I didn't know you could grow facial hair. We're not gonna, that's not going to happen here. We just don't want you to miss out on the meaning, purpose, and joy that comes from serving. So if you see something on here that you think are interested in, just check, check it off and put some info that's readable on there and stick it in the box and 
We'll follow up with you and see if we can find something that makes you feel fulfilled and also helps our church continue on the mission that God's given us. But I'd encourage you to do that in every space you're in, not just in your church, every space. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Um, man, I went long. I'm so sorry. Would you help us to be people that expand your kingdom? We're not just consumers, but we are contributors to these lives you've given us, the spaces you've entrusted us in. We thank you so much. You've, you've given us so much, man. You have given us your grace and your unfailing love and forgiveness. You've given us breath. Give us the will to just make it one more day. Uh, we have so much from you. We are just so thankful. Help us to use the giftedness you've given us, the passion you have given us to add to someone else's life today. In Jesus' name, amen.